I'm Dr. Crispin Hykovich. I'm the Director of the Infectious Diseases Unit at Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. Crispin, thank you very much for joining us today. I wanted to start back at the beginning of your career and ask you what actually attracted you to medicine and then infectious diseases. Yeah, well, when I was six years old, I was admitted to the Queensland Children's Hospital, the Royal Children's Hospital in those days with a mystery viral illness. No one knew what it was and I was in hospital for a few days. And then on the last day of admission, the infectious diseases team came through with the goods and diagnosed me with mumps and they became this sort of big heroes in our family for sorting it out and we're also very worried about what was going on and things and they became this big wonderful service that had provided an answer and ever since the age of six I've been telling people I wanted to be a medical microbiologist (laughs) and it all flowed from there. Medicine is wonderful it's an incredible combination of science and I'm a bit of a science nerd and love the science aspects of it but with the human component combined with it and you get to see people sometimes at their worst moments but the amount of human connection you get from that is very valuable to me and uh, I'm just really grateful with the career choice and if I got to choose again I'd choose exactly the same career again. And that's unbelievable though that it started from six years old and you didn't sway from that. Yeah that's right yeah I was pretty focused on it over the years became more and more interested in the in the science of how infections occurred how um, the host response occurred it's sort of in this titanic battle between the viruses and the bacteria and and humans that has been waged for millions of years. And I guess that, that's what we see every day in our clinical practice now. Crispin, are there any other doctors in your family? Uh, no, no, I'm the first doctor in my family, as far as we know. Uh, so it was a bit of a breakaway from the tradition. Um, not sure I'll be the last because my kids are pretty keen to do medicine now as well. Fantastic. <laughs> and Crispin, I read a quote online from you that said, decades after starting your career in infectious diseases, you still feel pumped up and excited at work every day. Is that still the case? And why is that? (laughs) I saw that one. Look, Faced with um, eight hours of Teams meetings, I don't know if that would be necessarily (laughs) true, but certainly out there seeing patients um, and working with – I I love – doing a ward round with a keen group of junior doctors and medical students and I still still love it. I do it for free, although I don't know if I should say that because maybe <laughs> I might lose my pay. It is the science as well. I think people get infectious diseases often because they live pretty interesting lives. They might be travellers, they might be from a diverse member of our community and I feel like you get this reach into things you just never ever see otherwise. One great thing about infectious diseases is it really, really changed in my 20 something 23 years being a doctor now there's been huge shifts in our understanding of disease processes the molecular revolution that's occurred now and the um, the, the the dozens of new therapies we've had so it's been a very exciting time to work in infectious diseases and sort of just feels like it's getting more and more exciting from that point of view all the time. Has your career over that 23 years taken you overseas where you've experienced medicine unlike what you see here in Australia? Well, I, I did the usual sort of backpacker doctor thing around the UK, although I have to say it's like a not quite as good version of the medicine in Australia because it's just so hard and busy over there. But what I did do was spend four years in Darwin in the Northern Territory, um, finished my training and started my consultant practice there. And that is just an amazing place to practice medicine. It's this melting pot of, um, of cultures. It's a melting pot of sort of Southeast Asian and near Pacific cultures. Plus there's the incredible burden of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health that you encounter there. And in terms of tropical infectious diseases, it was a really extraordinary place to work where you might get as much experience in one year working there as you get in two or three years elsewhere in Australia. 
And Crispin, you saw a different illness there to what you see here? Absolutely, absolutely. Totally different. Uh, things like um, the, the type of bacteria encounter in the Northern Territory, there's a, a germ called meliodosis that lives in the soil and that's really, really common in Darwin, whereas we might see one case every five years in Brisbane. Also, the return travellers from Indonesia, from Papua New Guinea and from the region, so lots of malaria, dengue, uh, salmonella, all these things that are just much less common in, in Queensland. It does really mean that you get opportunities to understand disease processes and things in a, in a totally different way. Crispin, you founded the Queensland Adult Specialist Immunisation Service, a program to ensure that all Queenslanders with complex vaccination needs can access cutting-edge specialist advice and assistance. Can you talk us through the program and its success? Yeah, so one of the great things about the pandemic, there's been so many bad things, but one of the great things is this has been a vaccine responsive disease and we've got these wonderful vaccines now. Now, many people will have had a case of COVID, mild COVID, even though they've been vaccinated and the vaccines still don't prevent that. But what they have done is saved thousands of lives in Queensland and millions of lives around the world by preventing severe disease, stopping you from getting lower respiratory tract infection in the lungs. So when the vaccine rollout came along, we were obviously very excited about the promise of it um, and and what it could do. But there's a proportion of um, people in Queensland, probably about 5% who have special vaccination needs. So they have existing medical problems or they've had a problem with a vaccine before or something like that that need really specialist care. So we set up a sub-specialist vaccination service in um, in about April 2021 simultaneously with the vaccine rollout to assist with people who needed additional help with their COVID-19 vaccines. And we're very pleased that we've had over 3,000 occasions of care through that service now. Uh, And that means thousands of people who now have been vaccinated who might otherwise have missed out. And what we're really hoping to do now is take that from COVID vaccines and convert it into a service that covers adults for all of the adult vaccines. Uh, That's already relevant because there's quite a lot of, there's quite a significant number of adult vaccines like influenza or pertussis for pregnant women, or um, there's a new chickenpox shingles vaccine coming out, but also there's this explosion in knowledge around vaccines now. And there's going to be some really exciting developments in terms of taking the COVID COVID-19 vaccine technology and using that for new vaccines for flu um, and new vaccines for a whole lot of other things. Crispin, what's it been like for you as an infectious diseases specialist working through the pandemic over the last two and a bit years? Yeah, it's been a roller coaster, and I think there's the sort of the the part of you that is excited to be in this sort of career-defining moment, um, this, you know, this opportunity to really shine and use all of the skills and training you've had for the last 20 years in terms of what really is a, you know, global crisis. And I think a lot of us felt like that back in early 2020. This was a big opportunity. It was going to be our shining moment. But I I think probably like many other people, I'm just pretty exhausted now. It's just been going on for way too long for everybody now. And I feel like it's getting to the point where we'd all just like it to go away. Unfortunately, it's not doing that. And it it won't do that. We're going to have COVID for for years to come. But I, I think I've moved from excitement enthusiasm to a bit of exhaustion and I think it's also a really important time to be reflecting on this pandemic they're definitely going to occur again we're definitely going to have big global pandemics in the future probably sooner than we think and reflecting on what went well this time but also the huge opportunities we have for improvement next time. 
We'll talk a little bit more about future pandemics in a minute, but I just wanted to ask you whether this pandemic has unfolded as you would have expected as someone who's studied infectious diseases and yeah. pandemics. Well, look, I mean, it was definitely predictable that it happened. Um, it's SARS-2 coronavirus. There was SARS-1 coronavirus already in the early 2000s, uh, and we've had other pandemics in my career, like the H1N1 uh, flu pandemic in 2009, the Zika pandemic, the Ebola pandemic in Africa and elsewhere. So it was definitely predictable it was going to happen. I, this has been a very severe pandemic, this one. I mean, I think um, when we're looking at probably around 20 million deaths, $25 trillion of economic cost and disruption to people's lives. I mean, people often comment on how Queen, Queensland's done really well with this pandemic, and I agree by global comparisons we have, but does it feel to you like life has been great because of the pandemic for the last few years? Obviously not, and there's still so much more to do. I think um, probably the, the darkest days of the pandemic for me were when the variants had started emerging because I guess we felt we had, were beginning to get on top of it by the end of 2020 that we seemed to have very promising vaccines that were likely to work and the case numbers were right down and we all came out of masks again and everything started getting a little bit back to normal but then bang, the virus started mutating and I think that was probably a little unexpected just how much it mutated and uh, these these variants are now driving a, a virus that is just not going to go away. Were you in touch with colleagues around the world during the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, again, we we just had, uh, because of our amazing public health response and because of leadership and because of um, the way Queenslanders responded to the pandemic, we have had a much better ride than so many places. We've had colleagues in, in Britain who were just by by the end of the winter of uh, the, the Northern Hemisphere winter in 2020, 2021, they were just completely exhausted and jaded and frustrated and, and just emotionally uh, numb because of the incredibly tough winter they had there. Colleagues in the States similarly just voicing extreme frustration with the overwhelming burden that they had in hospitals, but that just there were people just completely living normal lives out on the streets and almost ignoring the fact that the pandemic was occurring. Uh, And then I guess colleagues in places like New Zealand where there was extremely severe, harsh public health lockdowns as well, where it was almost just so stressful trying to maintain zero as well and the, the incredible tension that constantly trying to eliminate every last case caused as well. So it's been tough for people across the world. Crispin, where are we at with this pandemic and what can we expect in the next 12 months, do you think? Yeah, that's a really important question. And I think where we're at now is we are transitioning from a pandemic to an endemic virus. So uh, COVID will be around in 20 years time. We are moving to a state where we are still getting very large numbers of cases. So there are still thousands of cases a day in Queensland and millions of cases around the world. But pleasingly, what we're seeing is that despite the case numbers staying high, the number of deaths, severe disease, ICU admissions is really, really dropping away. And that's absolutely what we need. So yeah, the the variants are going to continue to emerge. There's unfortunately another one already on the way, um, first seen in South Africa, but now accounting for one third of cases in Portugal and it's been seen in the US and now the first cases in Australia. So that's the BA4, BA5 variant, and that's going to cause another wave. And I think what we'll see from here is periodic waves for many, many years to come, probably mostly related to winter, where we'll have big waves and surges and then it'll settle down again and we'll have another wave. But hopefully the the decoupling of cases and and severe disease will continue. So we'll have lots and lots of mild disease, but very few people in hospital and even fewer getting really sick or dying from COVID. So Crispin, you've said that there's a limit to how infective a virus can get and that you think we may have reached that limit. Why does that happen? And when do you think we'll be able to say that this pandemic has ended? The virus fundamentally exists 
not to make us sick or kill us. It, it wants to spread. That's what it does. It gets selected for its ability to spread. And so when the virus mutates and variants emerge, normally they mutate into being more infective and they just outcompete the other viruses that are out there. Um, and more recently, they also outcompete our immune systems and work around it. So the mutations we've seen have pushed the virus from a highly lethal but not that infectious virus, still serious but not as lethal virus but of extreme infectivity. And over time, so from going from original to alpha to delta to omicron it's got more and more infective over time however there is only there is an upper limit to how infectious a virus could be i guess probably our standard is measles which is probably right up there with the most infectious viruses of all and the most recent variants are approaching the same level of activity of measles not quite they're nearly there and i think that's probably the natural limit to how infectious a virus can get. In terms of when the pandemic will be over, it, this virus won't be over. It will be endemic. So we'll have it for the rest of our lives. I, th- I think the pandemic's over simply when we have cases of the virus, but it no longer needs a concerted public health or emergency response. I think that's the best definition of it. So that really that means that there's virus circulating in the community, that the severe disease and death rate is similar to something like flu or, or even other viruses, and we're not on this sort of war footing anymore, and that will be the end of the public health emergency and the end of the pandemic phase of this virus, and then we'll move into the endemic phase. Is there still a possibility that we'll need vaccine? Oh, I think so. Yeah, my, oh, crystal ball gazing here, but yeah. I, I think the most likely is that we'll have at least a few more rounds of vaccination. It does appear that the antibody levels with vaccination wear off over time and the virus will continue to mutate. So I think the next thing that's coming in vaccination is variant-specific vaccines. So you'll get an Omicron-specific vaccine, maybe mixed in with the flu vaccine. There's heaps of exciting stuff happening in the flu, in the vaccine world at the moment. The other thing is maybe we'll be getting given the vaccines in different ways as well. So the, the big promise is a nasal mucosa. I'm pointing at my nose here, but of course you can't <laughs> see that. A nasal vaccine is a nasal spray um, that will produce a really strong local immune response right where the virus first infects. And that may get us to the point where we don't even get mild infections anymore. The other reason for the nasal spray, my kids think it's a great idea because there's no needle and they're really scared of the needle. So, yeah. Crispin, you said about more pandemics. So do you think we will see another pandemic in our lifetime, so say in the next 30 or so years? And if so, why? Yeah, look, absolutely. Yes. So I think we'll see more mild pandemics every couple of years. And that's actually what's been happening. We just haven't had all of them hit home to Australia. And I think we'll have another big one like this definitely in our lifetimes. There's a few reasons for that. One is the extreme connectivity of the world now. Your nose and throat is really within about 24 hours flight of almost the whole of the rest of the world now. So someone can get sick in a far distant country and within 24 hours they can be here causing infections locally and vice versa. We can also take it elsewhere. We've never, there's never been a population of animals, a population of anything that's so connected now. On top of that, the global population is extremely high now. And I think part of what we're seeing with these pandemics is a sort of a bit of a natural issue with the degree of population overcrowding that we now have people moving into new environments, new habitats, where there are animals that we haven't really encountered before. Finally, we have a severe protein shortage in the world and it means that people uh, in the developing world are needing to find new protein sources more and more. So moving out into harvesting wild animals from the forests, leading to Ebola infections in Africa or exploring novel foods in, you know, in Asia and, and eating mammals that we might not otherwise eat and then becoming infected. And so that's a bit of a perfect storm. And it is just actually very 
scary just how many other coronaviruses similar to this one there are in bat populations in Asia and in other animal populations in Asia and and how many viruses similar to Ebola there are in Africa just kind of ready to go now that that's scary and it's unfortunate but the the good news is it was a really concerted effort now with lots and lots of funding and with targeted specific measures we can really really blunten the impact of future pandemics make sure they're no way near this bad again there's a whole lot of stuff we can do and we've got to start that right now and finally what's next for dr hykovich well like i said i'm um, a little bit exhausted with all the teams meetings and the uh the administrative burden uh, but i'm really excited that i'm going to be starting a, a phd really focusing on the emergence of new viruses and and the, the potential for new viruses that might cause pandemics. So really focusing on trying to understand and predict the factors and the threats that might be coming in the future so that hopefully we'll get a bit more lead in time and be able to get those treatments and vaccines and things much quicker when it inevitably happens. And obviously what we're all really worried about is the panic neglect cycle of response to um, pandemics, uh, meaning that when there's a pandemic on, we all panic and we have extreme focus, extreme resources and interest. But in the peacetime years afterwards, we often see a complete drying up of that and a complete loss of interest in pandemics. What we need to do is keep a warm base. That means we're constantly working. We're constantly surveying the risk. We're constantly working on new vaccines, new drug therapies, public health responses, making sure that our PPE stockpile is sufficient that we can ramp it up really quickly. All the best with your PhD. <laughs> and thank you very much for chatting with us, Crispin. Oh, that's a pleasure. Thanks for having me.